Right, gang? You like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org. Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 259, Episode 2 of Der Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It's Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. You know national international legging day so it's not just for the people in this if you rock with leggings it's your day it's national chocolate cupcake day national no beard day and national pharmacy technician day shout out to the people working in the shout out to the pharmacy techs was that a no beard day yeah i don't know if that means just shaving it off it just says yeah just being clean shaven you know it's probably again it's about time we got some recognition out here. Yeah, those or of us without those of us, beards. Or like me, who cannot grow a beard. So I'm like, yeah, every day uh-huh. is no beard day for me. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, my name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Guess who's back? Back again. Stalin's ghost. <laughs> Tell a friend. Uh, that's courtesy of Christy. I'm Gucci Mane talking about who was that? Who said Stalin's ghost? I think it was Cernovich. Truly. Yeah. Mike Cernovich. Yeah. Weird Mike Cernovich coming back, coming with the strange attempt at poetic license. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Yes, it's Miles Gray, straight from the Mile High City, but keeping his title of the Lord of Lancashire, Hideo Noho, North Hollywood's very own. Thank you so much. In the building. In the building. Yes, well, yes. we are thrilled to be joined in the building-ish 
yes, virtually, virtually in the virtual building of the internet zoom protocol by <laughs> an urban planner former executive director of times up entertainment and currently the city council member for la's fourth district yes, welcome sir. back to the show nithya roman welcome What's welcome up, nithya Thank you. That was such a great, that was probably the most enthusiastic reception I've ever gotten. Hey, we, nah. we go off here. This is yeah. very <laughs> happy to be here. Thank hey, you so much. Hey, the last time you were here, you were running and, yeah. and in what the LA Times calls a political earthquake, you won. I'm sure you've probably heard that by now, but oh, yeah, yeah, you won. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big deal. It's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Minute, and so yeah. now you're just wielding power for the past couple of years. How, how's that going? Anything new going on in the city council? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had, haven't had the most stressful week of my <laughs> entire tenure here so far. Yeah. Virginia, <laughs> we're just getting and started. And you stayed right? and you kept your appointment uh, to, to appear on our second rate podcast. We are truly grateful. Yeah. Well, I disagree yeah. with you that it's a second rate podcast and I'm oh, very delighted to be here because it's third rate. Thank you. For <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. We had Ugo on, by the way, recently and went, his underrated was Little Nicky. So just so you know what the, the bar of the Sandler movie. Set. The the Sandler okay. movie at Little Nicky was like, I don't know, man. It's just like my favorite movie. I can I can watch it <laughs> repeatedly. He said it was his favorite movie. I think he said it was his favorite or like one of his favorite movies of all time. And like, didn't really. He wasn't like you know because of this or because of that. He was just like, I I just really love that movie. It was right. it was kind of awesome. Um, I did endorse him, and now I'm think- rethinking yeah. the endorsement. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> gotta ask walk what it his back. favorite Sandler the latter day Sandler film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it was interesting because of that. I was like looking at where it falls. It was like right before Punch Drunk Love. Very interesting. And yeah, after Waterboy, and he was like, you know what? I'm gonna go full funny voice for all two hours of this movie. <laughs> Anyways, that's not what we're talking to you about. Yeah. We're gonna. Ask the question of just like how to be a progressive in modern America, like the just generally, you know, we struggle as a podcast. We talk about how American society seems to have an immune system that is allergic to anything having to do with socialism or progressive social policies and that is addicted to profit. And so just as someone who's been in there for a couple of years now and like um, dealing almost a, almost a couple of years almost. yeah almost yeah. a couple of years coming up on a couple of years like just kind of getting your stories from 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 what it looks like from the inside we're we're going to specifically talk about you know the unhoused crisis in LA white supremacy which has been a subject that has come up a lot with regards to LA city council recently crime, all of that. We might even get into Rainbow Fentanyl, the the latest <laughs> Halloween freak out on a national scale, which just spoiler alert is is a bullshit media panic. But the DEA guy said, I know <laughs> <laughs> it's rainbow. They're going to give it to your kids. Yeah, Drug dealers love giving fentanyl away for free. Anyways, before we get to any of that, Nithya, we do like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history? My recent search history? Yeah, just what, whatever you're willing to divulge. Well, before the grimness of this last week, and I want to avoid that week's 
very dark search history, <laughs> but uh, I was most recently Googling and surprised to find that the first wives club, which is an old movie, mm -hmm. whether it was actually about president's wives, as I thought it was. Mm. And it turns out it's not. It's about <laughs> the first first wife that was divorced from the wealthy Correct. guy. <laughs> <laughs> and how those first wives got together and exact right. revenge. Oh, so, okay. Which is like a way more fun movie premise. And I was delighted to find that this was the case because it kept being promoted to me because I've been watching a lot of like, I can't watch anything new. It's too much yeah. to process. I've been watching like When Harry Met Sally, Legally okay. Blonde, Clueless. Mm -hmm. And you've this got kept, mail, maybe. you've got mail. This kept getting promoted to me. And I was like, why would I want to watch this movie? And then it turns <laughs> out, Oh my God, it's perfect. <laughs> Barbara Bush and Nancy Reagan start <laughs> robbing banks together, right. like a set it off type scenario. But Tipper Gore can't get in the crew. <laughs> right. A lot of tension there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like first, like, first wives that, like, that version. Did of you not it. watch that film? I didn't watch that film. No. I just remember the posters because they were all wearing white. Like they were their outfits. There was like their the marketing was like here we are because Goldie Hawn and Diane Keaton and Bed Midler, Midler, right? I think are the three. Yeah, yeah. And but the thing is, like, if they're all wearing white, doesn't that make you think that it's about? Ghosts? I don't know suffragette. <laughs> Ghosts. <laughs> we went two different. It was either suffrage, suffrage or ghosts. Or ghosts. Well, that's what, like, I, I was trying to picture, like, a club made up of first, you know, the first women, first ladies of the, from U.S. history. And, like, I feel like to get any sort of critical mass, you would have to go to the afterlife. So that's where my mind oh, went, was ghosts. Right. right yeah. Okay. Right. Well, look, it turns out we were all wrong. Right. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's about women exacting revenge for being divorced from beyond the grave. What is something you think <laughs> is overrated? So I, you know, well, I guess we might talk about this later, but my my district in city council is pretty large. It now stretches from northern Silver Lake to Reseda. And so mm. I spend a lot of time driving and I'm always late. <laughs> and I feel like here's the thing I've learned. I've, I do my makeup in the car. So I think doing makeup at home is mm. overrated. Wow. You're, and you're able to you're able to drive and do your makeup? I do it at stoplights. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm not dangerous about it. Okay. Because <laughs> I remember, good. yeah, I, I remember sometimes like seeing like when, when I was in the midst of like my long commutes when I would like work in the West Side and I lived in the Valley. Going over the 405, creeping. There are always yeah. people doing their makeup. And I was always like, man, with the stop and go, I always admired people using like an eyeliner pencil so close right. to their eyeball while like hitting stop and go traffic. I was like, there has to be some stat of like people like poking, messing their, poking their eyes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Traffic, but. So, yeah. And I will say like eyeliner is the one thing I save for when I pull into the parking gotcha. spot okay. at, the, at the destination. But yeah, my foundation, my blush. That's kind totally of all I wear, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not right. reckless, but. Yeah. Are you the, thinking about all the times you did your makeup in the car, Jack? Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. No, just a, really like nice all time. the all the stories. The, the other time I hear like these commuting hacks is from like people in medical school, like, and the, it, it's just like ways to squeeze things in on your commute, like to multitask. And like when my wife was going through medical school, 
like their trick was like on the commute when you're at a stoplight, you like nap, you put the car in park and nap until <laughs> until the car behind you honks. And then that's what Whoa. wakes you up from your nap, because that's just how <laughs> it's it's truly crazy that that's how we've decided to train doctors is like we're going to we're going to make you sick both like physically and spiritually. And that's the only way you get to take care of people. Right. That is so much darker than. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I, yeah. I've definitely had the same thought that like, why well, I'm going to start seeing people driving by in the other direction with eye patches because of <laughs> how frequently I see people doing makeup <laughs> while they're driving. But, you know, apparently it can be pulled off with a plum. Yeah. Yeah. What is uh, what's something that you think is underrated, Nithya? So I have been really enjoying Bosch, the TV show. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I actually, I don't know if it's underrated. I think the people who find it really like it. Yeah. The but... people of LA really like it. Like, I, I feel like it's a, there's a strong appreciation in that, in people I know who are like, really into LA as a city love Bosch because right isn't it I I have not dove in yet but it does like feature it's like shot on on location throughout Los Angeles right I'm like well it is shot on location throughout Los Angeles I will also say that a shocking shockingly high percentage of the murders happen in and around council district 4 Oh wow. Which, which is not true actually for crime stats. Right. But running an op on you. Okay. Yeah. You're like, just look but, at Bosch. It's out of control. <laughs> it's out of control. <laughs> look what's happening, Sherman. People, Oaks. people are dying at right. the Hollywood Bowl. People are dying. <laughs> yeah. <That's> so <laughs> people murder. Another murder at the Hollywood Bowl. That's what <laughs> for people who aren't from LA, that's like the premier concert venue. It's like that, the Greek, and then obviously like Staples or the Forum for gigantor right. events. Right. But yeah, the Bowl is like our, you know, any video game that depicts LA, you gotta, you have to build the Hollywood Bowl when you're rendering right. for sure. But right. it's also right. weird the idea of someone getting murdered there. Like, I think this, this, I think believe that this individual was murdered in the pedestrian tunnel on the way to the. Oh, bowl. going underneath Highland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, but makes anyway, but there's like a lot. <laughs> a lot of council district four references so it's right. yeah and do you when you're watching that are you like or or you're just kind of you're you're able to buy into the to the fantasy of like do you do you, do you are you ever like i'm kind of bosh i could i could turn my job as a city council member into like going around and murder she roading so some various <laughs> crimes i it's a totally voyeuristic escapist yeah Yeah. escapist yeah for sure i think if it was like too close to what we were seeing in la i think i would have more trouble with it as a as a relaxation right right and the other actually can i do a serious one that you i find underrated for sure which is there's a documentary series called philly da about larry krasner Mm -hmm. and that's it's one of the best things I've watched in the past like two years and it's it's amazing and it was so real and so potent as a piece of filmmaking I had to pause it numerous times you know just because of what's happened you know it was like too much for me to process especially given all that you know all that's happening in America right now I just was like oh my gosh yeah 
And I think very aligned with some of the questions that you were asking Jack earlier about right. Oh yeah, progressive yeah. politics and the future of America and progressive DAs. Yeah, they, that feels like the it's like the low hanging fruit for a lot of people to go after or trying to explain away certain ills to be like, well, it's the progressive DA that's the right. issue actually. Right. Right. And we've seen that here in Los Angeles with the attempted recalls of George Gascon, and mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really relevant for for a lot of what's happening. But it also talks about his office and management and, you know, it's it's a complicated, complicated thing that he's dealing with over there. Right. Right. And yeah. yeah and the, and the re, given the recall of San Francisco's DA, like there's just a lot happening right now. Yeah. The San Francisco's DA was I, I don't really regularly consume the Wall Street Journal or Fox News. But in talking to conservative relatives, I did not realize how much of a national figure like they had made San Francisco's progressive DA. And like that, just the idea they were like, that's he's lost control of the city. Like, I I feel like the rest of the country was so all, all over this narrative that progressive DAs in California were were like, you know causing an apocalypse right and now when you talk to people from outside of la they're like how do you how do you live there it's it's crazy i live in a a a version where i'm actually i know my neighbors and stuff right not as freaky as the people with an agenda (laughs) want to make it seem but yeah there are issues that definitely have to be solved like any yeah yeah and i don't you know i don't think you ever you don't ever you know i don't think you get anywhere talking about crime and people's fear and sense of safety in, in, in a city by dismissing it. I think you talk about what are real solutions to addressing it, but anyway, yeah, the fear mongering is fear mongering is also very real. And I think there was, they, there was a little bit of just creating a bogeyman around these. Right. Right. Because, you know, they put in a new DA and the same things are happening as before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In San Francisco. Of course. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back to dig into how to be progressive, how I am be progressive. They've broken my brain. I don't know how to even deal in the modern United States. So I want to I want to hear how how you're thinking about that in one moment. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course, and Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. And we're back. Yeah, so something that we just kind of keep coming up against, whether it be with regards to, you know, crime statistics during the pandemic that we've already kind of made reference to and that, that a lot of that got blamed on progressive DAs. A lot of it got blamed on the Black Lives Matter movement. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and now the statistics are are coming, coming out and, you know, people are actually looking at things and seeing that crime went up everywhere in, in the United States, whether it was a progressive DA or a judge with a noose in like the woods somewhere, like the crime went up all of those places and, and, and in urban areas and in rural areas yeah exactly. that's the other you know like i think actually homicides spiked in rural areas even more than they did in urban areas right and you know it's it's starting to seem like a lot of these informal and formal you know social networks that we all have with going places seeing people these like third places that aren't our home where you know once those went away and people just had more time and were shut up in their home and also everybody started buying more guns like you know the those things were all contributing factors and also a bunch of crime statistics disappeared for for the year 2021. Well, more so but, that they weren't like, you know, jurisdictions in like Florida and Pennsylvania and California, which are massively represent like a lot of these statistics weren't using like the new standardized way of reporting that the FBI was asking for as they put together their annual uh, statistics. And another, that's why they're like, we're even now, if you want to make this sort of claim, like you're dealing with incomplete data at best. But right. Yeah. Huh. I didn't even know that. 
Yeah, it's so so just like so we have this narrative like we we say like there are these policies and these social you know things that we should be investing in that went away during the pandemic and it turns out they're enormously popular or in, enormously important and without them like things get really bad really quickly very straightforward story to tell people about you know progressive politics and instead the version that comes back to us in the mainstream media is that it's either progressive DAs or it's that like the police were defunded, even though they were still super duper funded. Like it's, it's just like I, that story in particular, where there is a truth that is pretty straightforward that can be told and answer all these questions. And that just like, doesn't get told it is one of the examples where I just feel like America like the body of America rejects anything having to do with socialism and is addicted to this idea of violence and anything that can drive a profit, like militarization of the police can. So I don't know, like <laughs> just just sort of a vague, like, how, you know, your comment. <laughs> yeah, your comment, please. Uh, well, you know, I, I, what I can speak to is what. I've been dealing with here in Los Angeles. And I think we had this very heated conversation in 2020 about police and the role of policing in in Los Angeles and a call for you know real changes to how we respond to or 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 utilize policing here here in this city. And then you know I think in the in in after the election in in November of 2020 Slowly, there started, you know, becoming a backlash around really talking about increases in the number of homicides, increases in crime across America in Los Angeles. And what is very true is that those numbers have gone up, as you mentioned, and that they've gone up regardless of jurisdiction. They've gone up in urban and rural areas. They've gone up across cities, regardless of their policies, regardless of whether they have progressive or non-progressive DAs. I mean, there has been a rise in homicides across the entire country. And that's right. that's the reality of the moment that we're living in. And so in response to that increase, there has been a push locally and nationally for more police, more police on our streets, more money to policing. And so you had this kind of, you know, whiplash moment where after this intense conversation around the role of police and how you deploy them in cities, you had this very intense backlash that that came forward. And for me, what's been really, I think, as someone who's trying to navigate these conversations and legislate in these conversations, is that here in LA, we couldn't hire more police even if we wanted to. The LAPD is facing such intense staffing shortages, and they're not unique among city departments, right? So across the entire city, as in the private sector, there are intense staffing shortages facing the city. And in fact, LAPD has been allocated for a certain number of positions in the budget and hasn't even been able to fill them because of attrition and because they're not able to hire up fast enough. So retirements have been so many that that they haven't been able to hire up to match that retirement numbers. And so to me, the question, like when I go out and talk to constituents and constituents are telling me, you know, I feel anxious, I'm seeing the news, I'm seeing all these I really want to talk to them about, okay, we're in this moment. 
the solutions that have been proposed for decades, which is let's add to the police, let's add to the police, let's add to the police in response to your fears. That's not that's not possible right now because of this moment. So how do we think about what is really going to make you feel safer? And I think a lot of those things that were discussed in 2020 are exactly what we need to be investing in right now. It's, you know, how do we respond to homelessness without police involvement? I hear from my the senior lead officers that are kind of in charge of various parts of our district that 40 to 60 percent of their time is spent responding to calls about homelessness that are not related to violent crime or assaults. It's just there's an encampment here, you know, and so they're going out and doing that work. But are they the right people to be responding to that? Is there a better way that we can be responding to calls about homelessness that, you know, that really tries to get those individuals who are on the streets on their path into a home? If you're talking about traffic response, you know, what are we doing in terms of monitoring traffic safety when when you have a, a, a collision? Does armed police need to come out and respond there or can we send someone else or is there ways of doing traffic enforcement that does that doesn't involve armed police as much because there are DOT traffic officers, Department of Transportation traffic officers as well. But how do we think about that in ways that really remove police from areas where they have been before mental health crisis response? You know, are there are there many, many situations where we're sending armed police out when we don't. And so I think for me, it's like. Let's have a conversation about safety. You know, let's have this conversation about what it really means to have a, a response to safety that 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 really responds to the needs that we have in Los Angeles and responds to the conditions that we're facing here that doesn't just go to this, you know, ultimately, if you're hearing from politicians that, oh, you're not feeling safe, we're going to add police like that's at this point, I can tell you that that's a lie in L.A. Right. Because it's just you're saying functionally not possible. It's not possible because of it's just right. not possible. We can't go to that well anymore. Right. So so in order to have a conversation about what what response to the ch- very real challenges that we're facing in Los Angeles right now need to be, I think we just have to have a very different conversation. And and I think we have to be real with constituents about that. We have to be real with Angelinos about that. And I think I, I would imagine that many other cities across America are facing these same challenges. Right. I'm, and I'm curious because, you know, like with with police budgets, I know you voted to increase them. And I know there's probably more nuance around it than some people. I, I feel like some people just say, I can't believe she voted to increase police budgets. Yeah. Just full stop. Because if they felt maybe on then the campaign, this was something you were fully invested in. But for one reason or another, that there are things like caps on how many people can be you know, hired or the ability to hire more people or that certain raises are built in based on like union agreements. How like you like earlier you were saying, it's like you're now you're in this position where you're trying to navigate that yeah. and legislate based from that position. How do you sort of what do you put forward to people who may have been like really looking at the idea of police, like increasing police budgets bad? So therefore. <laughs> I can't I'm not going to think much more about it because, like you said, 2020 had a lot of people just very invested in this one or at least one dimension of altering how yeah. we respond to certain you know, emergencies in our city. Yeah. And the first you know, I think I really want to say that, like, I receive a lot of criticism about my work. I also receive a lot of support, but I receive a lot sure. of criticism and I'm I'm very like if people are disappointed, like I just want to say this is not me saying they don't have any right to be disappointed or, you know, whatever. Like I understand and I'm tr- I'm out here trying to navigate this 
in the way that one person out of 15 can and and really deliver the best results for the people of my district at this moment. Mm-hmm. And during the budget process, I, I put forward some, you know, long pieces of writing about why I, you know, what my relationship to the budget process was. But the one thing I do want to say about the Los Angeles budget, when we that budget vote is not an up down vote on the police budget alone. It's an right. omnibus budget. Yeah. Right. So it's like all these things. And, and there's a huge amount of negotiation that happens as we move through it where you're saying, OK, how much money am I going to get for the planning department? How much money am I going to get for building affordable housing in Los Angeles? How much money am I going to get for for active transportation? Like, you know, I, I'm right. really a big proponent of bike lanes and and traffic safety measures and I actually can't get those implemented in my district because we don't have staff at the Department of Transportation to design those measures on our roads. And one of the big things I fought for in that budget was more people to work on active transportation measures. And I got that. Um, I got that as part of the budget process. And yeah, like the, the police funding was a big part of the budget. It has been historically a big part of the budget. And there were raises baked into it that increased the numbers of how much money we were committing to the police force. Right. And looking at that and looking at what we, what I was able to get out of the budget, you know, I I move forward with it because I think when you're negotiating on it, you're saying, "Okay, I'll support this if we can do this, this and this." Right. You know? And I and I get like, you know, it's like any like, you know, there are omnibus bills at the federal level that yeah. you know, certain certain items are like poison pills for some legislators and some aren't. For you to see like a version of Los Angeles where we can legislate in that way and we are saying like without, you know, all of like the to address all of these needs that we have while really being able to like have a laser focus on, you know, realizing, well, the the direct increase in police budgets doesn't correlate to an increase in our safety. How are we able to sort of streamline the process? Because I'm sure there's many there's so many voices that come into that process that I'm sure it's it becomes chaotic. Like what are, you know, like, I think that's why a lot of people, when we look at how we can change things, we always see how the established process is basically the biggest hurdle into like meaningful change. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, like, what's the version that we need to be thinking of that allows us to have these conversations where we can't say, you know what, we have enough votes on the city council. We know that like having more uh, invested in social services and people who are trained in responding to crises like this, that we can do that in a very easy way. But I get that there's so much entrenched power. But I'm curious, as someone who's yeah. wrestling that, what's, you know, like, what's the vision of that for the future? So I think one of the things that people have to understand about the way that the LA City Council is set up, and this may not be relevant for your national audience, but is that a lot of the work of determining what projects move forward and what programs move forward it is done through committees. And I don't sit on the Public Safety Committee, but I think the people who sit on the Public Safety Committee have will have a lot of power over what happens in terms of our response to public safety issues in LA. So the the key things are the council president assigns people to various committees. Mm-hmm. And you know if you've been following the news, you know who was our council president until very recently. Yes, Nuri Martinez. <laughs> yes, Nuri Martinez. And so she assigned me to the housing committee, to the homelessness and poverty committee. So these are all committees that I think are really important. But I'm not I don't sit on the public safety committee. And I think that committee is really responsible for trying to bring up and ensure that departments are following through on alternative responses to public safety. Right. Mm -hmm. And without that committee's leadership and its chair really pushing forward on those, 
it's going to be hard to see progress. So the reality is a lot of the power on those issues sits within that committee. The committee chair determines which motions get heard by the committee and move to the full council. And we don't have right now a coherent alternative response system in place in Los Angeles, right? Mm. So that's that's the other reality of the moment that we're facing right now is that there's all these great ideas. There is a pilot program in Hollywood and Venice called the Circle Program, which is supposed to take some of the, you know, 911 calls that are coming in and moving them to unarmed response. There is a mobile van that's supposed to be housed at fire stations and go out from there. So there's all these different pilot programs, but there's no coherence around thinking about what are these programs doing? What are they actually changing as we move forward? Are they effective? What's the most effective? How can we really invest and expand in them beyond the pilot phase? I actually put forward a motion earlier this year, which just is making its way through uh, the committee and the council asking for exactly this, you know, and I think this is in addition to thinking about police budgets and police presence, I think we also need to be thinking about how do we actually fund staff and increase the capacity of these alternative systems to actually respond to issues in Los Angeles. Right. And that's t- to me, that's like the thing that we we do need to be focusing on in a in a very real sense, like, you know, getting back to your first question or the introduction that you had, Jack, is like, how do you how do you exist as a progressive in this space? I think one of the things that we need to be doing as a movement, as a progressive movement, as a big tent progressive movement, is to be talking about what we want to see, not just what we don't want to see. And I think being really clear and focused about what those goals are and then going out there and fighting for those things wherever they show up on council or supervisorial or county agendas you know, that that's the kind of work that I think we need to be doing as a movement in order to really move forward, because it's not just about saying we don't want this. It's about building the world that we want to see. Right. What do we replace it with? Yes. I, I heard you talk about like seeing somebody. I think they were in your district having a mental health crisis and but they weren't a danger to themselves or other people. And so you tried to navigate the process of, you know, like finding a solution, finding somebody, a way to call somebody who could come help that wasn't a police officer pointing a gun at at that person. And so... And I couldn't find it. Yeah. I couldn't find it, by the way. So I called... And this is as you were were a city council member. I'm a sitting city council person. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching a person have a crisis on the streets. And I call the Department of Mental Health, which is controlled by L.A. County. So mental health response in L.A. is not controlled by the city. It's controlled by the county. I called L.A. County. And not only did they not come, they never even called me back. Right. And the reason is because despite the fact that we have an enormous homelessness crisis, despite the fact that some, although not all, certainly not all people who are experiencing homelessness have mental health vulnerabilities, some of them do. And the reality is that we need street-based mental health outreach and street-based response to mental health issues, right? And despite the reality of that, that we've been grappling with in Los Angeles for many, many years now, the county has almost no mental health outreach teams that are rapid response like this and has no capacity to respond to calls for help in that way. And so for the entirety of the San Fernando Valley, for example, that enormous area, there is one mental health outreach team that the Department of Mental Health funds. 
Yeah. yeah. Pardon my I English, mean, but yeah, it's that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think you were saying that like when you talked to somebody, they were like, "We're still like dealing with yesterday's calls," and it's like that's that doesn't really it doesn't you know, help me. It doesn't yeah. help us at this moment. And so like that and that and you know when I ran for office, one of the things I really talked about was saying I want to have a system of responding to homelessness in my district, which tries really to move it into the hands of trained professionals. Right. Is there is there like a tension, right? Because we we all know it's like we don't need the cops to be responding, you know, right. like and they're like, you know, we'd love to not be responding to this. But is yes, there and obviously they say a, that they say that all but the is time. There, I know, but they say that. Right. And then but they're like, we need more money. But they like need the more money. this. We need more right. of that. Like what's how do, how does where does the rubber meet the road in trying to get the stakeholders to understand? It's like because we talk all the time as observers of just the news and looking at you know, crime statistics or how crimes even reported like yeah. breathlessly by the L.A. Times or fucking Los Angeles magazine, that <sighs> absurd publication. Like, at what point are we able to really get this message through? It's like, you know, that we always talk about. It's like if there, if there was a correlation between how much we spent in crime, there should be negative crime. Right. You know, right. like so that's what's I'm, I'm curious to see how those conversations play out, like because obviously you have a living entity as like the police department who's they're saying, like, well, we need this money. And right. are, do they look at giving away some of this responsibility as making them more vulnerable to like saying, well, then what do y'all do? You know, like is or I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know how they're rationalizing or the debates that you hear when there are people who advocate for this is why it needs to be this way. This is why it needs to be this way. When, right. you know, logic or basic analysis would say, like, it seems like there's a myriad of other ways of things we can try because we've been doing it this way forever. And right. the yeah. results are the same. I mean, we even heard Joe Biden in a speech be like, we don't need to defund the police. We need to f extra super Refund duper fund the police something. because yeah. they because they do because there are mental health counselors and like giving listing all these things that. They they're bad at that they shouldn't, shouldn't do that they don't want to do. So it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, I'm always trying to think about this and how you talk to constituents about building support for a better way of doing things, a more mm -hmm. logical way of doing things. And I think one thing that I would say is that I think often when you're talking to constituents, a big complaint that you hear is you know, I had an incident of violent crime or I witnessed an incident of violent crime or I had something happen to me and the police didn't come fast enough, mm -hmm. you yeah. know? And so when I hear that, I think one of the things that that's a moment when you can say, okay, look, you had armed violence happening. That may be a space where armed police are appropriate responders, right? But for everything else, we want to make sure that we are taking that off of LAPD's plate. And I think in that in that conversation, and so that they can respond more quickly to your instance of armed violence where you didn't feel like you were supported or you felt safe. And mm -hmm. so that that's like, for me, in terms of trying to think about building a case for that better world, that's that's not just an argument that I think has a lot of power. I think it's, it, it, it's something that I think instinctively people understand, you know, mm. I think we don't move forward as a city unless we're able to really have conversations about safety and about these issues in ways that don't undermine people's fears. And I said that before, I just think that that's like an important way, a part of how we move forward in, right. in building that new future, even if 
you know, you may not think that those fears are legitimate or based in the statistics or I just feel like in order to have a conversation that's really fruitful, I think we all have to respect each other's kind of where you're coming from. And I think we can make real progress, real measurable progress on doing exactly those kinds of things and taking armed police out of mental health crisis response on taking police out of, you know, your everyday homelessness response. And you're going to have real widespread support for that. Those changes that can transform people's lives. I mean, like, let's just be clear that if we're talking about vulnerability to police violence, and that's what something that you care about, making sure that police are not your first line of response to calls about homelessness is really important because I think, a th- you know, last in the last count, a third of all victims of police violence were homeless in L.A. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so how can we have how can we make concrete progress on these issues? How do we do that? Right. Because you're not saying I got to go to the like 65 year old lifelong Sherman Oaks resident and be like, well, you know, all these crime statistics are blah, blah, blah. And like sort of do this kind of you have to sort of meet them where they're at, which is like, well, what do you you don't feel safe because of X, Y and Z? Well, this is actually how we solve it, because I feel like this L.A. is really or I think most cities are at this place where people have either the really aggressive, violent solution to a problem, and then there's a group of people advocating for something that like acknowledges the people's, like someone's humanity as a solution to it. So like, for example, like, again, in LA, there's so much talk of like, there's such a weaponization of the unhoused people, like the unhoused community here for political points. I have neighbors, acquaintances around the city that seem to not be interested in solving the issues that accelerate the growth of the unhoused community. Like they don't really care about afford. Like they don't understand. They don't understand stuff like they just see homelessness and they go, oh, my God, what are they fucking doing over there in City right. Hall? And that's sort of where here. it ends. Right. And there's like a really specific type of Angelino, right? Votes Democrat, hangs all the right signs outside of their home. But when it comes to talking about the unhoused, their only idea to contribute is some version of get rid of them or right. like, I don't want to see them or they are dangerous. And right yeah. now there's like this Caruso supporter who's like going around L.A. videotaping people that are living in, like on the street and just like shaming them and narrating right. to the camera. This is why we need to vote for Caruso. And the comments are like an intellectual war zone, like on these videos. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious for someone who's been advocating for trying to solve this in a way that makes sense and isn't just we'll ship them out somewhere or like just be more brutal and say hey you either take treatment or you live on the streets again or whatever you know a lot of people have all these really messed up mantras i'm curious if you've seen a shift in these kinds of attitudes or what how do you even connect somebody who's like seemingly being like i understand all these other problems but i just can't quite cross the intellectual rubicon into seeing an unhoused person as a human being that is unfortunate and is worthy of some kind of help rather than saying this is a nuisance because it's either a nuisance or someone in need of help is how people see them. And I think we can never abandon the base. You know, I think the, my entire campaign, my entire time in office has been built around the idea that you, if you center unhoused people in your response to homelessness, and if you center their dignity, that, that we actually have, you know, that, that first of all, that that is that is a moral imperative, mm-hmm. you know, right. no matter what. Yeah. Right. That's that is a moral imperative. one. That's yeah. just step one. But the but the incredible thing is that if you do it that way, if you respond to homelessness in that way, 
that you actually address homelessness more effectively than, you know, there's, there's, there's two dances that we put unhoused people through here in Los Angeles. One is a sidewalk shuffle where you break tents on one sidewalk, people move across the street and then they move back. And then there's the, there's the, the movement from sidewalk to jail and back to the sidewalk. And neither of these actually addresses right. homelessness, neither of them. And if so, if you want a long-term solution to homelessness, if you want to, to see our way out of this crisis, there's no way through it that doesn't center the dignity of those people who are living on the streets and ensuring that your response is tailored to those individuals' needs. Mm-hmm. And I think I think one of the challenges that that I, I feel like I push back on and, and that I always have conversations with residents across the district about is like, I have no, I believe that homelessness is not a good thing for LA. It's not, it's worse for the people who are experiencing homelessness, but it's bad for our entire city. Like I want, I'm here because I want to end homelessness, Right. Mm-hmm. you know? And I think just, just making sure, like, I think that people understand that the goal of this work is not to keep people on the street, but rather to much more effectively help them navigate their way off the streets. That alone is a game changer in having those conversations. Because I do think there is a bogeyman there, you know? Am I saying that word right? Is it boogeyman or bogeyman? I've always heard boogeyman, but bogeyman also adds like a, I think it's appropriate for like our top gun zeitgeist (laughs) because bogey is like the the bad plane that's going to come shoot you. I like mispronounce words all the time. And so I just realized as I was like, this is the second time I'm using it and probably mispronouncing it again. (laughs) I like it. But yeah, but like to me, it's really just there is this. I I think persistent feeling that if you are fighting back against the sidewalk shuffle or the jail to streets circle, that what you're actually advocating for is for people to remain on the streets. And in fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. I mean, you've talked about structural kind of problems with with regards to addressing homelessness that feel like they then trickle down to the like individual level like with the sidewalk shuffle district by district there when you entered office there was not like each there still isn't there still isn't was okay so each district is responsible for addressing homelessness within their district, which leads to makes it very easy for your answer to be move them to a different district. Right. Yes, like, exactly. So the, it, and, and, and it, the incoherence of this we, is mind boggling. Right. So is that something like how, how are I, I guess I'd, I'd love to shift to things that you are seeing work and things that are giving you hope for like addressing this as you're coming up on like the two year mark, like what, what, what are you seeing work and actually gain traction? Well, a lot of that changed this last week. <laughs> right. You know, sure. yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about this last week and just like what it was like from your perspective, because I mean, they were, they were talking about redistricting you on in that meeting where they were also just using cartoonish, you know, movie villain, anti-black racism in a way that seemed like it was just the the accepted culture, like yeah, on... I mean, abhorrent language and 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 homophobic tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, 
over and over again, homo- the use of homophobic tropes. It was so upsetting. The use of anti-Black language. By the way, also, you know, they 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 made fun of Oaxacans in Koreatown. Right. Yeah, so Korea it's Town, also yeah. anti-Indigenous. Anti-Indigenous Semitism. It yeah. was covered yeah. all their bases. They hit it all. Yeah. yeah. So, it you know, it was abhorrent. It was an abhorrent conversation. And, I you know, I think my obviously my first instinct and response was to just the level of outrage that I felt on behalf of my my colleague Mike Bonin's son <laughs> and his family you know Mike and his hu- husband Sean and it knew no bounds and I think just and I was heartened to see that so many people showed up in whatever way online in person via emails via phone calls just to say like we reject this so wholeheartedly like this is so not Los Angeles you know so I think that I just want to say that it was really like moving to be witness to that. And yeah, that, that, that's important to note, but this, you know, I think I obviously I'm still grappling with it, grappling with the implications of what happened. And a couple of things I wanted to share is, you know, as you think about what we've been discussing in council for the past year and I don't, I don't mean, I meant, I think I'm at month 20 or 21 right now. I can't remember on the council and the priorities that we've been discussing on. So, you know, Kevin DeLeon chaired the Homelessness and Poverty Committee. Gil Cedillo chaired the Housing Committee, which also encompasses renter protections. Mm-hmm. That's where we discuss, you know, keeping people housed, you know. Right, right. And then Nuri Martinez was the council president, which means she set the agenda for what we discussed in the full council. And I think about some of the discussions that have occupied us and that have been some of the most conflict-ridden over the past almost two years and I think about our focus on enforcement as a response to homelessness and our constant discussions on how we expand the scope of enforcement with regards to homelessness. And that occupied so much of our time on council. Mm. And I think about what it what those discussions would have looked like or what those priorities would have been had the people setting the agendas not exposed themselves as racists. Right. How would that how would our agenda right. on homelessness and poverty look like if it was being set by people who had who had the best interests of every single person in Los Angeles at heart? Right. You know, and I think I do think it would look different. I think for me, I've identified over and over again that a key part of why we're not able to address our homelessness crisis is housing. We simply do not have the shelter beds or the housing units to house all of our homeless people here. We don't have a we don't have a system that's designed to do that. New York City has more homeless people than L.A. County, but way fewer people on the streets. They have you know only like two thousand people who are on the streets, and the reason is because they have a court case that mandates that they create the number of shelter beds that they need for every single person who's experiencing homelessness in that city, and so they've had to do that, and they've just done it. And here in L.A., we've never done it. We don't even have even right now despite the fact that we've made more investments in shelter and in housing over the past few years than we ever have in Los Angeles city history or county history for that matter, we still don't have enough units, beds, whatever, to house our entire homeless population. Houston, which has reduced its homeless population by an astonishing, I think, 60% over the last few years, has three times the number of housing units that they have unhoused residents. Right. 
So you see the difference that we have in our response and you think, oh, why weren't we talking about this? Right. The entirety of the time that I've been here instead of the other thing, which is telling people where they can or can't camp. Right. Right. Because ultimately enforcement like, you know, that that helps the police stay busy. That also helps people who might be, you know, maybe averse to building affordable housing or getting behind that, too, that I'm sure they're like, well, let's I'm into enforcement because I'm I'm sure there's also plenty. I mean, I know there's plenty of nimbyism going on, too, where people are like, well, there's no way I can live. But, you know, in with these people in my community, I but you're so your solution is just to kick them out rather than to say, well, there is a way for them to actually move out of, you know, being unhoused and right. potentially to be able to have a job or not be living on the street. Does that seem like a good option? But it seems right. like a lot of people just immediately see also help as being like, well, that's going to mess up right. my property value. Well, so and like, I just, yeah, I, yeah, I just want to say one thing, Miles, which is that I have a, I actually think Los Angeles is better than what we heard on those recordings. For sure. You know, um, and I think you're right that there is NIMBY pushback on specific homeless housing units. But I actually think if you look at the history of our votes on resources for homelessness, on on making sure that people have what they need in terms of addressing the lack of shelter beds or housing, like we vote for it in droves. Right. We vote for it overwhelmingly. Like Los Angeles is a city that gets behind housing and resources for for homelessness. and. I don't want to let the actions of these three people take that away from us. Like we were, this is a, you know, I, I really believe in the city and I think that they were misguided in thinking that the agenda of the city needed to be focused on these issues. And I don't think that's the will of the people. I feel, you know, as we have a mayoral race with a real estate billionaire that's, you know, coming down to the wire it it feels like I, I just keep being struck by real estate, the real estate industry's role in this. And just it, it feels like real estate is so such a powerful force in L.A. And, and the real estate answer has always been, you know, just anywhere but here, like use the police to take the problem, the crime, the unhoused person anywhere but here. Like is is that something you see like on the ground, like in, in these meetings like that that you're on? Like, do, do you do you see like those forces at play or is it like more kind of cellular down to the DNA level than that? Or how, how, do, how do you think about that? Like the relationship between the real estate industry here and how we respond to homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and affordable housing and everything because it's all yeah. So, you know, I'm so I'm an urban planner by training and I've looked at the history of affordable housing construction in America for a long time. Yeah. And I will say that we've built more affordable housing here in Los Angeles over the last few years because of things called basically density bonus programs. Right. So the way that it's been happening is that you basically provide private real estate developers the capacity to build a little bit higher if they add affordable units to their existing constructions. Right. And as a city right now, again, I'm just operating within our existing contest. I don't context. I don't have the capacity to fund a huge amount of public housing. In fact, I have almost no money for affordable housing. And so these density bonus rules are really the only way that we're creating any kind of affordable housing stock here in LA. And that's that's the reality of the context that we 
are in right now. I think if the president or at the federal level, they made changes so that they were really funding a public housing program the way that they did in the last century, I think that we could make real progress on building more affordable units here in Los Angeles without having to rely on the private real estate sector. But we're not in that context right now, right? And so, uh, you know, I think for me, the role of the private real estate industry is a very complicated one. I think there's there there are people who are very focused on policing as a response to homelessness, but I think there's also a lot of nonprofit developers, you know, even even some for-profit developers who are trying to provide section 8 units who are saying we want to partner with the city and being a better in in doing better and and responding better to this issue. And I think what we need to be setting up is a system where where we don't have the private real estate sector either bribing their way through city politics, which is what happens all the time, or having outsized influence on decision making in the city. And I think those things can be achieved through smart interventions in campaign finance reform and in in right. in in really changing how we organize our ethics commission and our rules on lobbyists taking part in in these public conversations. And you know. I, I think that that's how we that's how we minimize the role of any profit seeking industry on how we decide our priorities for yeah. the city. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> your job sounds hard. Uh, yeah, I feel <laughs> I feel like I talked way too much. I'm sorry. No, I mean this it's like but this is kind of what we're always talking around on on right. this show as we're, you know, ta- right. talking about like observing and making strained human body-based metaphors about what's wrong with America, (laughs) you know, is like, it's very, very interesting and, you know, complicated and just good good to hear from you now, you know, 21 months into the job and hear, hear the challenges and the, where you feel like you can, you can improve and, just what it is, what it's like in there. So yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. And I, I, for me, like, again, in thinking through that initial question that you brought up around progressive power and what it means to be a progressive in America, one thing I really want to think about and talk about as we move forward is what does that look like in terms of material change for the people of my district and the people of Los Angeles? And how do we design a policy agenda that gets us there? You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's what that's the conversation I want to be having with people who care about these issues going forward. I want to be having that with you and your audience and with the public and with constituents who care deeply about this. And the exciting thing for me in some ways, you know, I'm uh, this has been a very hard time, been a very hard, couple, you know, week and change. But I also think that we can build that those material changes like we can have those happen for people in L.A. So I feel really excited about what these next steps are going to be and how we coalesce around that shared agenda and really use our power at every moment of decision making here in the city to push for that change. Yeah. yeah. Vote for Ugo. Let's get let's get more progressives on the city council. And for sure. But did he leak the tapes? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> According to Los Angeles magazine. Is oh. that what they said? <laughs> oh yeah. 
Dude, like front and center. It's yeah, like absurd. That's why, like, this city again. That's why I'm like, I commend the most you. Ludicrous, for, like, ludicrous conspiracy theory. I'd hate this. I'd hate to be a politician in LA because there's just so there's just so much, so many ways for for people to try and derail like a legitimate push towards something that's constructive. And even like the same way, they're trying to even undermine like the coalition. They're like, oh, uh, black and Latino. The alliance between blacks and Latinos have already been fraught until now. And it's like, ask anybody who's actually in the streets or any activists like there. People know what time it is Like you you have to be arm in arm with each other. That's the only way things are are moving. But it's interesting to see how even with this controversy, too, there's a lot of like, you know, fuel being thrown on the fire to try and make, you know, make it seem yeah. like something else. I, I also just want to say that I think the system is really gross and awful. <laughs> but. <laughs> Angelinos are stop. amazing. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That was my only comment. <laughs> okay, bye everyone. <laughs> Actually, we did forget to take our second break, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and say our official goodbyes. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now and it's waiting for you on Hulu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. 
See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. And we're back. And you you were just saying that the system's gross and that's all you have to say on that. (laughs) (laughs) The system's gross, but I also, I think that Angelinos are amazing. And you're absolutely right that people on the street, they don't, they absolutely... uh, don't agree with what that vision of, uh, right. you know, of a contentious fight Dicer. between black, yeah. black Angelinos and Latino. Like it just doesn't, that's not how they read the world. That's not how they right. read the city around them. And right. And like, it's clear that at that level for the Nuri's and Gills and Kevin's of the world, that what that's their worldview of how power works. And there's clearly another version where people look at the ongoing issues and say, well, these aren't actually the solutions to these. And, working to them like working with each other sincerely is actually how we're going to get some like material change as you're saying yeah I and mean, that's the only way but yeah yes exactly yeah it's a a really troubled time but you can see that there's a lot of possibility on the other side and i think that's at least the part i lean into without becoming fully nihilistic about <laughs> being a lifelong angelino yeah well where can people find you follow you all that good stuff uh, yeah, you can follow the council office. You just look up CD4 Los Angeles on any of your social media platforms. I do some of my policy thinking on my personal stuff. So I'm usually at, you can just look me up, Nithya for the city or Nithya V. Raman on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I also wanted to plug the United to House LA ballot measure, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And it can actually give us the money to build exactly the kind of affordable housing and homeless solutions that we need to to get us out of this moment of crisis and that's on going to that's going to be on your ballot you, sh- you should already have your ballots at home if you live in LA and it taxes real estate sales over some number of million dollars i mean it's not going to impact ordinary people right and it's going to generate a lot of money for for all the good stuff that we need to be building, the concrete stuff that we need yeah. to be building. So United to House LA, vote yes. There you go. And is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? Oh, gosh. Or a show. <laughs> I mean, you know. Some other work of social media that I've been enjoying. Oh, Social I'm media throwing. is art. Is your currency. <laughs> what are you enjoying? Oh, Oh, well, let, let, allow us well, to tell you then. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear from you. I need enjoyment. Yeah. Tell we'll me what. We'll give you yes, a break. I will. Miles. I will. Uh, look, you can find me at Miles of Gray on Twitter and Instagram. Also, check Jack and I out on Miles and Jack got mad boosties as a basketball pro, uh, podcast. And also, if you like ninety day fiance, check me and Sophie Alexander out on four twenty day fiance. It's the predictions now. episode this this week because the season is beginning the for NBA the NBA. Yes, yes, yes. Wait for some real off base predictions the from us. Um, 
some tweets that I like. Let's see. First one is from Koss at Kostan, C-A-A-A underscore tweeted as a hater. I'm so happy Tom Brady came out of retirement. Watching him go out sad is even better than I could have imagined. Uh, and I was liking that one. And then Miss Hollywood at Carter for real tweeted, I fake passed out on my three-year-old daughter and she still didn't call 911. She punched <laughs> me in my face and yelled, you can't die right now. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Also, like maybe my worst nightmare as a child, you know what I mean? It was like right. when I, I used to be like watching my parents sleep and stuff. Oh man. Really... Okay. <laughs> yeah. They, I'm i I'm always tempted to do that to be like, how'd they react? How would they react? But I don't, yeah, I they don't yet that to, trauma. Yeah, I've yet to pretend I was dead for my four yeah, and six year old. For your weekend at Bernie's emotional test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Some tweets I've been enjoying. Old Tom at Yucky Tom tweeted, got high and went to the gym and I turned to my buddy and said, Who's this guy supposed to be, Steve Pineapple? And when he said what, I realized this was a character of my own creation from deep within my subconscious and not a reference burn anyone would understand. <laughs> and that just brought me back to the weirdness of being high back when I was also not good on pop. Big Spooky Dad tweeted, I went to the Silly Goose convention and they all knew you. Um, which is just a good thing to say to people. And then on the subject of local politics, you know, as this is a good way to put put something in terms I can understand. Brent Tadarian tweeted a picture of a T-shirt at a one, one of the baseball games that was happening this weekend. Said this shirt makes a really good point vote. And the shirt says the mayor from Jaws is still the mayor in Jaws, too. It is so important to vote in your local election. <laughs> so, like, facts. <laughs> how he facts. how he weathered that storm of being like, we're keeping the damn beaches open, shark attacks be damned, and then like three people got eaten in front of everyone, <laughs> like it was a spectator <laughs> sport. That's I don't know what his comms team must have been putting in work. Spectacular constant. Yeah, one of the best to ever do it. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song that we think you might enjoy. Hey, Miles, what's the song that we think people might enjoy? Oh, man, I'm telling you. Okay, so this is... <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm back on my drum and bass thing. Okay, I know that some sometimes you were like Miles, why are you listening so much drum and bass? Because sometimes mm. it feels freeing to listen to drum and bass while you're bicycling around the city. Okay, mm. and there's this one is a fantastic mashup of a Brazilian track that I think is I want to say. Let me just make sure I know who the original track is. Oh yeah, so Barbatucas, who's like the Brazilian version of Stomp, they have a track called Baiana. And then this artist called Nia Archives did a drum and bass remix to it. And just as somebody who loves Brazilian music and drum and bass, it was just a very pleasant surprise to hear. So this is Bayana by Nia Archives. Listen oh, to it right. while you bike. Yeah. Maybe do a little freestyle. Like, uh, you know, nah, look, you don't have to yeah. freestyle over it. You know, nah, I'm, not, you know. I'm not trying to put people in danger out there, especially <laughs> if you can't freestyle. So maybe freestyle, bike, and put on your makeup. Yeah, exactly. all at once. Uh, yeah, that, that, like a, that would be truly amazing if yeah. someone was doing their makeup while cycling. If so, send video for proof. Yes. Uh, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning, back this afternoon, to tell you what is trending. And we will talk to you Bye. Bye.
Here's something you might not know about wireless. Sometimes what you see isn't what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 per month, taxes and fees included. Switch now at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zeit gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated.